Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. Good morning. Welcome to Collective Church. If we've never met before, my name is Tyler. I'm one of the lead pastors. I have the privilege and honor of leading alongside of my amazing wife, Lee. I want to pray for us, and then we'll dig in. God, I pray that you'd speak. I pray that you would be the one that would would use my words to say what you need to say to each of us. You know where each of us are at. You know what we need. You know those of us that have come in with heavy burdens, and you know those of us that are struggling. God, I pray that you would be the whisper that would somehow cut through all the noise. God, as we open your word, as we unpack what it means to follow your son, Jesus, would you guide us, change us? God, I need you. We need you. God, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. We left off last week with an invitation to orient our lives differently. We did a series on Sabbath, but so much more than a series for us, it is integrating this rhythm into our life. And the rhythm of Sabbath is to stop and rest and delight and then finally worship. And I was talking about worship and all of the different ways that we worship. One of the ways that we worship is what we just did, we sing songs, but every single time that we orient our heart back to God, we reorient our our entire being back to him, it is an act of worship. And one of the ways that we do that is through our giving, through generosity. We worship God as we give. And I want us to dig into that a little bit more over the next few weeks, We're going to talk about generosity in the way of Jesus, and the series is Practicing Generosity, and increasingly I want us to become more and more comfortable with the language of practicing, because practice, it acknowledges that we don't have everything sorted out naturally from the jump, and sometimes we have to practice things and do things and and try things and and realize then it becomes this rhythm that is life-giving for us, But, but for all of us, we can be in different places. And so we want to be a community that practices generosity. There is a a significant theologian, N.T. Wright, who says this. The kingdom that Jesus preached and lived was all about a glorious, uproarious, absurd generosity. He's British, so I think some of those words just sound even better when you're British. But think about it, glorious, uproarious roarious, like there's this joy that is overflowing, this kind of generosity, and finally, absurd generosity. This is the invitation for us. And I want to acknowledge a couple of things before we talk, because I know that even some of you in the room, you're hearing and you're going, okay, he's going to talk about money, and you're like, I shouldn't have come this week. Like, this guy's going to just lay it on me, and I'm going to feel guilty, and he's going to... All I knew all the church just wanted was my money. All these things. So let me acknowledge a couple of things. One, I'm going to be speaking to those of us who would say, I'm a follower of the way of Jesus. Okay, so if you're in the room, and all of this is new to you, and you're not really sure that you believe in any of this, but you're here, first, we're glad that you're here. But I I just want to let you know, this is not for you. In the sense that this is a peek behind the curtains and letting you know what it means to follow Jesus, but Jesus' words are not the expectation for you. But on the flip side, for those of us that have surrendered our life to Jesus, we need to look seriously at Jesus' way of life and reorient and change our behaviors to put ourselves in line with his way of life. And second, I recognize that For many of us, most of us, money is a topic that has a lot of complex feelings attached to it. There's all sorts of things that it dredges up and areas that it confronts and things that it 
that it, it causes to, for us to struggle with. And I just want to remind you again, through the lens of Jesus and the way of Jesus, that money is not actually the root. Money is an indicator of what's at the root. And so for Jesus, it's always about our heart, always about getting down to the deepest part of who we are and identifying what the things that overflow, what they identify about what we believe and how we live. I've said it before, and I'll say it again until I'm blue in the face. It's important that you understand that following Jesus, surrendering our life to the way of Jesus means surrendering every single area of our lives. And that can be hard for us because there's parts that we want to hold back and go, I'd rather just keep this off limits, but the way of Jesus is all of it. He speaks into every area of our life. And as we apprentice under the way of Jesus, Jesus is our rabbi, our teacher, the one who guides us. As we apprentice under him, we experience life change that that actually confronts and changes every area of our heart. It's whole and complete life change. And so for so many of us, we treat money like it's off limits. And we go, you know what, God, you can have me, you can have my time, you can have my talent. I don't know if I want you to have my treasure. I don't know if I want you to have my money. The thing is, for us, as we follow Jesus, he becomes the Lord of our life and not just some of it, all of it. And that includes our bank account and it includes our budget. And so Jesus comes to us and he says, lay down your life and choose my way of life and we surrender our life, but that is every single area of our life. And for those of you that are in the room and you're like, okay, still, you're, I'm just, I'm, I've got my back up. I, I do wanna just, I wanna make sure you know honestly from the depth of our heart as, as sincerely as I can communicate it, when it comes to your money, I want you to know we want so much more for you than from you. That our heart is not just more from you. Honestly, our heart is for you. And if we identify that money is a key component of discipling, being discipled and apprenticing under Jesus, then we don't want to avoid that. We want to courageously navigate it and with humility going, this is what Jesus says. What does that mean for all of us, me included? What does it look like for us to live our life differently. And when I say that we want more for you than from you, let me just explain that, that we, just, we imagine people in the church, in our church, and in the church as a whole that live differently when it comes to money. We imagine families with margin, families that aren't struggling just to, just to each week get enough so that they can make do, but instead families that are thriving we imagine single people and, and people in the congregation that reject the lie that consumerism is the goal. If I can just get more and get more and get more, then it'll fill the hole in my soul. And instead, what we want to do for all of us is live in a way where money serves us, not where we serve money. I was doing a little bit of research through all of this, and I was wondering, I wonder what average debt is for people. And, and I, I don't know if you've ever heard it, but I've often heard, like, in, in the States. But I was going, what does it look like in Canada? The average consumer debt for someone in Canada is $21,000. A little over $21,000. And that's everything but the mortgage. So could be a car loan, could be credit cards, and I think it's really interesting, and I, I don't want us to miss it, that even in this data, it's called consumer debt. This idea of more, 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 better, newer, this pull that somehow if I get enough, then I'll feel good enough. And I also know there's a bunch of students in the room. And, and there's people in the room that go, okay, I have student debt. The average Canadian owes $26,000 in student debt. And so there's all these things that are pulling on our attention. We think about our consumer debt or we think about our student debt and it pulls us into this direction that sometimes is in opposition to this way of generosity. And God's vision for your life is beautiful. And one of the parts of God's vision for your life is that you are not slave to the lender that you are not slave to all of your debt. 
Now that's not saying that all debt is bad. This is not one of those churches where like, if you have any debt, you are horrible and you don't belong here. And I know all the things that you start to jump towards. What I am saying is if your debt is hindering you from living your life generously, is it possible? Could we maybe agree that something is off? If we owe so much by buying all this stuff that we can't actually live generously, is it possible that our priorities are opposite the way of Jesus? Even when you think about about marriages, you know the number one topic of conflict in marriages? Money. Money is the thing that often divides families. It creates rifts in marriages. Sometimes it can destroy relationships and friendships. And so again, I want you to know that this is so much more about what we want for you than from you. Because we want, as Jesus followers, to live our life differently than the world. We don't want to look exactly like the world. We want to identify, Jesus, what are you calling us to? And so many people are drowning in debt and the world sells consumerism as a solution to the ache in our soul. And the payment is more debt. If I can just get more and then I'll just charge it to something else and accrue more and more debt. And instead of getting sucked into this vicious pattern, we want to disrupt it and go, Jesus, what do you say? What are you inviting us into? Because Jesus offers a different way for us. And Jesus' way of life for generosity is a life of courageous generosity. The Gospel of Luke, Luke records some of Jesus' words on money and generosity. So if you have your Bible or an app, you can turn to Luke 16. Luke 16. And I'll give you a second to turn to it. Luke 16. I'm going to be reading from verse 10. And I have, my, my Bible is a New Living Translation. Just as an aside, I've had people before go, what's the best version of the Bible to read? And I will say there are some that I'm like, I probably wouldn't read that one. But honestly, the best one is the one that you'll actually read. So I think the New Living Translation is a, is a great in-between of easy to read and also academically sound, scholarly sound, theologically sound. But ultimately, I go, I just, I want you reading your Bibles. And so if you read from a different translation, and you do it consistently, great. So Luke 16, 10 to verse 10 to 15 says this. This is Jesus speaking. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Then in verse 13, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And then here we find the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders at the time, and they respond. The Pharisees, who dearly loved their money, heard all this and scoffed at him. Then he said to them, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. Our daughter is, our daughter Ava is seven. And she has, uh, in, in lots of ways, had things that uh, she's been delayed in. So one of which is losing her teeth. I'm like, we know some kids, they're like four and all their teeth are falling out. Ava, seven, and she's losing the majority of her teeth. And I was really, really grateful for when the second of her two front teeth came out because she lost one, and then the other one hung at like a 45-degree angle, and she looked like she brewed her own moonshine and panned in a creek. <laughs> like it was, full, it was full hillbilly. Like she'd be saying something really serious to me, and I, like, no, 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 no. Like I, just really distracting. So the one day she came home, and she's like, look. It's gone. I'm like, how is it? She's like, it, it feels like slime. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. But it was amazing because we were really excited for her, partially because we got to look at her cute face again and didn't think of something that we shouldn't have. And, and also, 
because there was this celebration that she had because she was going, okay, uh, I, I, mom and dad will give me some money for my teeth. Now, I don't know what it's like in, in your house, but maybe uh, you've heard a lot or talked a lot about inflation. But when it comes to teeth in our house, there's no such thing as inflation. 30 years ago, I got a toonie. Guess what Ava gets? A toonie. <laughs> I'm like, give her like $5 per, no. So we give her, we give her a toonie. And so I'm asking her, Ava, what are you going to do with your toonie? And I'm thinking of all the things, like, so I go, are you going to go to the, there's this convenience store near us. Are you going to go to the convenience store and get some chocolate or candy, or do you want to save it? They've been saving some money. And she's like, Dad, I, I want to give it, uh, we have Toonie Tuesday at our school, and I want to give it away. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. And I found out that Toonie Tuesday is this initiative that they have at their school where kids bring in their Toonies, and they use it. They pool all the resources together to, to meet the needs of people in the community that don't have enough. Now, here my little seven-year-old, who very easily could have went, this is my toonie, her first response is, I should give this away to someone. And the best part about it, I think, about even N.T. Wright's quote, where she was excited about it. Like, she was jacked up and pumped. I get to give away my money for someone else. I was inspired by her generosity. And I was thinking to myself, she could very easily just keep this to herself, and yet she wants to give it away. And I'd love to tell you it's because we had said, you should give to this thing, but it was completely on her own. And you know what it, and, and if you're a parent, you know exactly where I'm going. You know what it makes you do as a parent? I'm like, take all my money. Like, you had that toonie? I'll give you another toonie. I think I have a $5 bill. I was looking in couch cushions and all around to going, what else do I have to give to her? Why? Because I was inspired by her generosity. Their instinct was going, I have something I can give it to someone else in need. This is how I view my seven-year-old daughter as her father. How much more does God see us when we are generous and have his heart moved now, that's not to say, and there's bad theology where you go, if I just give, then God has to double it. If I just give, then God has to give me more. That is not how it works. Ava did not give that toonie because she thought, if I give this, I can parlay this into $4 from dad and look good in the process. Ava just went, I just want to give this. Someone needs it. And so for us, I want you to know that God's heart is delighted every single time that we choose to make it not just about us. Every single time that we live a life of generosity, that he sees his kids and he is cheering us on. And he's looking at us and he delights in our generous attitude to our money and more accurately, his money. See, that toonie that I gave Ava was Lee and I's money. We gave it to Ava. We entrusted it to Ava. And God entrusts his money to us. And many of us find ourselves going, God, give me more. Give me more money. Give me more money. I need more money without honestly evaluating how we spend what we've already been given. Because there is a degree that God evaluates how we treat the money that we have. And it's not like one of those things where it's if you pass the test, then you're good enough. But he does watch. Can you be trusted? Can you be trusted with small things? We are evaluated how we steward what we're given by God. And even that word, I don't know if you're familiar with it, this idea. Let me define it. Stewarding or stewardship. A steward is someone who is responsible for handling someone else's resource. Or someone else's resources. So in our case, we are stewards. Those of us that follow Jesus, we are God's stewards. We are responsible for handling his resources. Everything that we have, whether it's our possessions, our money, or even our spiritual gifts, they are gifts from God, used, intended to be used to build his kingdom. According to his purposes, everything that we have is meant to be leveraged towards God's purposes. 
And there is a part of us that understands, okay, when I die, I don't get to take anything with me. Nothing exists with me, belongs to me beyond my death. But it reminds us that we are responsible for how we live and how we use what we have while we are alive. And the truth is, and Jesus is is talking about it, if we're generous when we have a little bit, chances are high that we'll be generous when we have more. But if we aren't generous when we have very little, guess what? Generally, we won't become more generous just when we have more. This is why Jesus says, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? This is an important principle for us to understand, that when we are faithful with small things, it shows to God that we can be entrusted with greater things. And however that's defined, God gets to define that for us, but is this reminder, what does it look like for me to steward what I have, handle God's resources well where I am? And this is not just something that we say, this should be valuable for you. And this is not just something that Lee and I say is valuable for us. It's also something that we believe is valuable for the church. As collective church, this is not just an idea or a concept that we think. This is something that we believe. And so since the very beginning, God has been good to us. We have been self-sufficient as a church since day one. That's not normal. That means that we've been able to exist because of the generosity of people inside of the church since the very beginning. But one part of that that we have made sure is in our DNA is that we give every single year at least 10%. In fact, 10% off the top goes towards church planting. Everything. And so we take that 10% and we invest it toward other churches that are planting churches because we believe in that. And then we give above that. We do 14 days of generosity where we give half of everything that's given in a 14-day span to three organizations of our choosing. We also give per- periodically through the year if there are needs that are represented. We want to be in a position where we can be generous, not just with our words, but with our actions. Because we believe that if God is entrusting us with the resources that he's entrusted us with, we want to steward that well. We want that to be our rhythm of how we operate as God entrusts us with more. Why is this important to even tell you? It's important that you know that we will never ask you to do something that we aren't doing. And I understand that there is the institution, lack of institutional trust because you hear people that go, well, we say one thing and we live another. And for us, we go, how do we make sure what we say and what we do are the same? We would never ask you to do something that we aren't doing as a church. And for Lee and I as leaders, we would never ask you to do anything that we aren't doing personally. It's important that you know that. We want to be faithful with what we have, and we believe that Jesus' words here are true. We believe that God entrusts us, and we want to be trustworthy with what he gives us. And beyond just talking about it, we don't want to just talk about generosity. We want to make sure that as a church and as leaders and as a team that we are modeling generosity. And I'll talk about it more in future weeks because there's lots of discussion. We're going, well, is, does generosity have to be it just to the church or what about outside of the church? And we'll, we'll talk through that. We'll walk through some of what we see in Scripture and, and figure out what does that actually look like for us. But it's important that you know that our heart is not just more for collective. There was one time, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago, where there was another church that was buying a building. And, uh, and there can be this tendency, especially when you're a portable church, that you see another church buying a building, and you're like, why can't we be getting a building? And I didn't want that to be our heart posture, and so I was talking to Lee and talking to our overseers going, we want to give towards that. And so we gave what represented the majority of one week's offerings to this church because we believe that's what God was asking us to do. 
And it was incredibly encouraging because we were able to say, listen, we're trying to build the kingdom, not just our kingdom, not just our little thing. And let me just say to you, we didn't do it to get anything back, but then like a year later, the pastor called me into his office. He's like, here, and he gives me this check, and I think it like tripled here. This, we want to just thank you for giving sacrificially. And, and you go, you don't know along the way, but we want to make sure that we're not just saying it, we're living it. That we're not just thinking about our own little thing, but we're thinking about the kingdom as a whole. For us, we want to become radically generous. We want people to know us as a church that we're generous, not just within the walls, but outside of the walls of the church. And I want to remind you, and we'll get to this in a future week in more detail, that generosity matters because Jesus tells us that how we spend our money reveals our heart. Jesus communicates to us that how we are spending our money reveals the things that are the most important to us. And this is why the next section is so sobering. Luke is capturing Jesus' words in verse 13, and he says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. There is a battle for our heart. And Jesus places this, this battle for our money as a, as a hindrance and a significant obstacle for us to actually follow his way of life. And I want you to, to notice here that it, it says you cannot serve money and serve God. That doesn't mean that money can't serve you. But if you are enslaved to money, there's a problem. If your identity becomes rooted in your money, it's a problem. And listen, this is true for those that have a lot or a little. If all you think about is money, if all that you're focused on is money, whether you have a lot or a little, if it's your identity over that of someone who follows Jesus, someone who surrendered to Jesus, it should be a red flag for you. It's a problem. For us to recognize that my identity is found in who God says I am. I am a beloved son or daughter of the one creator, the king of the universe. If your identity is outside of that at all, it should cause us to go, hey, what's that revealing about myself? What's that revealing about what I believe? What's that revealing about how I live? And the lie that so many of us believe is connected to this consumeristic way of thinking that hides the things that are actually going on. We say, if I can just get that one thing, then I'll finally be happy. Then I'll finally be good. If I can get the new car, it will fill the hole in my heart. If I can get the new clothes, then I'll finally feel good enough about myself. If I can get the house or the stuff, then I'll finally feel like I'm good enough, like other people will see, see, they're successful. Look at me. But at the core of it is this belief that our identity is found outside of who God says that we are. And what happens is, is we're invited to, to this moment, this, this fork in the road, where we have two options. We can choose to actually go, hey, What's at the root of that consumeristic tendency in me as I'm trying to find something that, that satisfies my soul? We can choose to go and do the deep work of actually investing in that, or we can do what many of us, and myself included, if I'm not healthy, do where you go, eh, what else can I get? So many of us avoid the, the deep, darker stuff, the hard work of actually going, what does it say about me, and what am I avoiding? What am I numbing by buying more stuff? And I, I want you to know, just as a church, we want to become the kind of church that isn't just looking at surface level stuff, that we go down deep. That we actually go, what is that? Was it because at one point I was told that my performance is my identity, and so I think if I have stuff, then it shows that I'm good enough at work? Or, or is it that I'm trying to avoid some complex feelings? Maybe I'm going through something really difficult, so I want that rush of buying something new that makes me feel momentarily better. What is that? We want to actually go to the deeper root of that. 
And, and this way of living where we treat consumerism as hopefully the bomb to our soul is not a neutral way of living. It's shaping us and it's forming us. And often it's deforming our hearts. It's harming us. It causes us to make ourself the center. It causes us to make ourself and our own desires to get things, to, to use our money how we want as the primary focus. And when we live like we are the primary focus of our life with ourself at the center, we call that greed. When we live in a way where we are the focus, we're not thinking about other people, we're thinking only about us, we become greedy. And greed is a selfish desire to put our needs and our wants above everyone else. And I, can I just let you know and remind you on one level, there's, there's a human tendency here towards self. Like, th there's a reason that one of the first words that kids learn is, mine. And, and I think that so many of us as adults have not moved past that. <laughs> like, mine, mine. <laughs> but it's a human part. Like, I don't want to just be a moralize, like, moralize that and go, oh, wow, that's, that, that, there's some things we need to deal with. But also, let's recognize there's just this human wrestle in our hearts of going, mine, mine, mine. The problem is that greed poisons our heart and it steals our joy. And so you go, okay, if we're pulled towards greed, what is the antidote to that? Like, how do I break the power of being self-centered and self-focused? The antidote to greed in the way of Jesus is generosity. And we find ourselves pulled in these different directions. And though at times we find ourselves pulled in this direction of self, there's also this part of us that is pulled in an opposite direction. There is this tension that we experience as human beings where we find ourselves drawn toward thinking about ourselves, but then when we do things that, that don't make ourselves the focus, it, it brings something alive in us. That's why, like, you know when you give a great gift to someone and you, you're so pumped about seeing them give, get, actually open the gift? Or when you pay for someone behind you in the drive-thru? Or when you give sacrificially? And there's this sense of going, this is life as it should be. There's something in us that does want to be generous. So we have this tension between the self-centered part of us and then this other part of us that is bent toward the beauty of generosity. And as we give generously, it awakens something in our heart. I want you to know that that was put there by God himself. This is a divine thing that God, a gift that God has given us that he makes us find, we, we find joy and enjoyment and, and, and celebration as we actually live generously. That we are shaped by a generous creator who wired us purposefully. And so we find ourselves in this tension. And we're, we're in this place where we go, which master am I following? Am I following me or am I following him? And the culture around us constantly pulls us in different directions. Maybe you hear messages of little bits of generosity, but almost always the, the way of the world's generosity is give off the top after you've already taken care of yourself. You know what? Make sure your needs are met. Make sure you're okay. Make sure you pay yourself. Care for yourself. And then if you have a little left over, you can... Put a little coin in a, a jar or give a little bit and then you feel good. But the way of Jesus for generosity is opposite. It's giving first, not last. It's being generous and thinking about everyone else before we think about ourselves. For us, it's not just about leftover generosity, but instead a heart posture. We go, God, I, I want to give where you invite me to give. There's a famous Christian who, evangelist named Billy Graham, maybe you've heard of him. And he has this quote, and he says, if a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area in his life. If a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it will help straighten out, straighten out almost every other area of his life. Money for us reveals our priorities. 
And when we get our priorities in line, when we actually live our life where God is at the center guiding every single thing that we are doing, we find our life beginning to change. And Jesus reminds us that we can't serve two masters. If we are enslaved to money, we can't serve God. That one of the most significant hindrances for closeness with God is our enslavement to money. And we find ourselves, these two masters, we get pulled in different directions. And, and you know, theoretically, we can't move east and west simultaneously. We're pulled in two different directions all of the time. And at some level, we choose, Am I, is, is God my master or is money my master? And for so many of us, we have this divided loyalty that I want us to prayerfully, humbly reckon with that we actually go, God, am I serving you in all ways? Now, I want you to think about even this divided loyalty or two masters from a purely practical perspective. If, if you have crippling debt right now, if you have, you're, you're just paying the, the minimum, the bare minimum each, each and every single month, if you're struggling with your, your financial situation, you're constantly thinking, do you wake up every single morning thinking about God or do you think about your debt? If you're getting phone calls, maybe the, your phone bill is a little late, maybe it's gone to collections and you're getting phone calls every single day from your phone company. Are you waking up every single morning looking at your phone or waking up thinking, wow, God is so good. Look at his creation. I am in awe of how generous he is to me. No, what are you doing? You're thinking only about what is in front of you and you're wondering, how am I gonna do this? How am I going to pay for this? If we find ourselves not constantly present to God's beauty in creation, but yet always thinking about our money, it tells us where we are leading and following and who is our master. And there are extreme examples, but if every single day you wake up thinking, how do I hustle and get more rather than going, God, what does it look like to be used by you? I would say there is a problem. For us, we are invited to choose. Is it money as my master and driver of every decision, or is God the one who supersedes all of it? The call of Jesus is to abandon all masters but him. As we become apprentices to his way of life, we reject anything that hinders that. And the truth is that all of us have areas where that's easy and all of us have areas where that's hard. Some of us, we go, you know what, it's easy for me to surrender. Maybe it is even his money. Really. Like, that's, that's easy. And then you have some other areas. But for many of us, most of us, the area of trusting God with our money is a legitimate challenge for us. It is a challenging thing. This past week, George Krotner, who's one of our overseers, he spent five days with us, and he was working with Lee and I, and we're looking at a whole lot of stuff. And one of the things we talked about was just some of the financial reporting. We're just trying to go, okay, as we grow, what does it look like to think through, and what do we need to be thinking about? And he was talking, and he's saying that the church that we were at grew uh, substantially, and they had to go through lots of barriers and challenges along the way. And he said, one of the things that we started to identify was that money giving financially was often the last thing that people would do. They would, they would maybe join a co-group or join a team or get more involved, but oftentimes money was the last thing. And I, I was really struck by that because I, I know that's true. I don't know what people give. I don't know. I know kind of broad. I know where we're at broadly, but, but even just thinking through, I think I, I was struck by how it speaks to this idea that when we actually have to give our hard-earned money away, it's difficult. And I was struck by it because I was thinking this way of life where we give sacrificially is, is so countercultural. And I would even use the word as courageous. I just was I was struck by how courageous it is that people actually, in spite of all the things around them, trust God with their money. Courage is defined by Webster's Dictionary like this, mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. Now, even just look at those two words, fear and difficulty. There is strength. There is strength in living courageously with generosity. 
where we actually have to acknowledge that there, there may be some difficulty here. Like, I know the fears. You go, what if I don't have enough? What if I give money away and then at the end of the month I go, I don't have enough. I'm in trouble. That's the fear. And so we hesitate. I'll give next month when I have a little bit more margin, then I'll give. And, and I also know the difficulty because there's this part of you that goes, well, but if I give it, then I won't have it anymore. You know, I actually have to, I have to say no to some things. Like maybe I can't go to Starbucks every day. Maybe I do have to sacrifice something. There's difficulty there. And I never want that to be trite. I never want to lose sight of how significant it is that when we give, that it's courageous. And there are people in the room that are further ahead, but when we first give, when we first trust God with our money, it takes a tremendous amount of courage. And so I do wanna say, if you're in the room and you've recently begin, begun to, to give towards Collective, or maybe today is the day that you start, I, I wanna just acknowledge and celebrate how courageous that is. How courageous it is for you to trust God with your money. Do I believe that that's the best way? Absolutely, but I also acknowledge that there's this tension that sometimes we feel, and when you break that, we're proud of you. When you actually say, God, it's not mine, it's yours anyway, we go, there we go, keep going. Every single time that you give, you loosen the grip that money has on you. You take deeper steps towards surrender in Jesus. And if you give regularly to collective, you know the freedom that giving sacrificially gives you. Maybe you can remember the time that you first gave. I remember when we were first married and I was talking to Leah about tithing and she's like, you know how much money that is? And I was like, yeah, but you know that it's all God's too? And she's like, yeah. And I've had moments, honestly, where, where I go, man, it, what would it look like just to hold back this month and, and go, yeah, you know what, next month we'll give. And yet, honestly, you know what we've experienced at every single turn? God showing up and providing for us. And there have been some moments that have been scary that we still committed to giving generously. When we moved to Calgary, I was switching careers from graphic design to doing pastoral ministry, and I was going there to work at a church as a youth pastor and do my master's degree. And, and I was really excited because I was believing wholeheartedly this was exactly what God was asking us to do. And then they gave me the job offer, and they're like, we're going to pay for school. I was like, yes. And they're like, and we're going to pay you $15,000 for the year. And I was like, Great. <laughs> And I'm like, $15,000, like you break that down over 12 months, it's not a lot. And we were like, okay, it's Lee and I, we moved to Calgary where at that point rent was more expensive than here and yet we went, God, you're in it and we wanna, we wanna be generous and honestly, and I don't even know how it makes any sense, it's, it's God's kingdom money, and it's, but we were always okay. We had enough. And then we had times that people would, would bless us and often in just small and, for us, massively significant ways. And so if you're in the room and you go, I I'm really, really struggling with where I'm at, trust me, we, we get you. And honestly, we'd, we'd love to help you actually navigate some of the debt side of things before we just go, just give more money. We'd love to talk through that side of things. But also if you're in the room and you go, I just have so little, we also know what that's like too. I mean, the beautiful thing about the church as a family and all different generations is all of us have been where others have been before. And we go, yeah, I know what that's like when you're going, how do I trust God with this little bit? And going, can I just be an example of someone where God has shown himself to be faithful? Like for Lee and I, when we started Collective Church, we uh, moved here with no guarantee of anything. And, uh, and we moved in with my mom and stepdad in their farm with our two kids. Not exactly what I would recommend for the strength of your marriage, moving across the country to start a new church, living with your parents, with your kids. <laughs> and yet we went, we're gonna sacrifice because we believe in what God is inviting us to do. And again, I'm telling you, watching how God provided was so inspiring and encouraging for us. But I would be lying if I didn't tell you there were times that I felt the struggle and I went, is it worth it? Can I trust you? Will you provide when I don't know how it's all going to work out? And God can't be controlled or cajoled. It can't just kind of go, you're gonna do whatever I do if I give you this, but I've watched, I've watched how God continues to provide. 
the cost, whatever it seems like, and it might seem huge, is worth it in the end. But I do want to acknowledge that first you can become very aware of the cost. And that's why I want you to know that this kind of way of practicing generosity is courageous. Selwyn Hughes says this, remember this, you can't serve God and money, but you can serve God with money. And then there's another author named Scott Rideout who says this, generosity is not an idea, hope, or desire. It is a choice. It is a direction. It is a lifestyle. Our God is a generous God, and our goal as believers is to become like him. And so what we want for us, for us as a church and everyone within it, is to move from a desire for generosity to a choice and a lifestyle of generosity. We want to become the kind of community where we choose consistently to allow Jesus to shape our view of money and create in us a more generous heart. And I want you to know that we acknowledge there's all sorts of range in the room, different perspectives, different, different areas where maybe the financial piece is, is a harder thing or maybe there's barriers and boundaries. And, and I want you to know we're glad that you are here and are willing to, to embark on this journey. Our hope would be that God is the one that speaks and guides you. Our heart for Lee and I pastorally, is for all of us to be marked by a heart of generosity, for our church to be marked by generosity so that people in our community go, you know what, I don't know if I believe in all the things that, that they believe, but I watch how they care for the poor and they give their money away and they live as if stuff is not their identity. I want that for us. We want to actually model the kind of generosity that is courageous. And so if you're in a co-group, you'll get a chance to wrestle with this and talk more. And this is not going to be one of those things where people have to pull out their bank accounts and go, how are you spending your money? Like none of that kind of stuff. But what we want to do is talk honestly and just talk about some of the things where it's hard. And it's not one of those places where in your co-group where if you say, yeah, this is hard for me, that someone goes, well, it shouldn't be. You really need to work on that. Instead, we want to be the kind of community that recognizes, listen, we're all in process. And all of us have areas that we struggle with. What does it look like not to hide that stuff? And then to work through it together. And to hear stories. Like there are stories that I know of of people in the congregation that have watched God provide when they trusted him with their money. And all that does is it encourages you more and more. What would it look like for me to live a life that is courageous in generosity. I want to, for, 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 so if you're in a co-group, I want to let you know you'll be able to talk about it. I want to encourage you if you're not in a co-group to join a co-group. Go to collectivechurch.ca and you'll see co-groups at the top. But I want to leave each of us with a challenge. I'm setting the stage for this series, but I want to leave each of us for, with a challenge for this week. What's one thing that you could do this week that would allow you to take the next step toward courageous generosity. Maybe it's, it's something as simple as going through the drive-thru and instead of just paying for your coffee, paying for the person behind you. And you go, you know what, that would be significant because I, I, I don't tend to get things for other people. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay for that. Maybe that's the next step. Maybe it's giving to collective church or maybe it's giving to another organization completely. Maybe it's for the first time actually giving sacrificially, not just tipping from the top, but giving an amount that you go, oh, okay, I'm gonna give this and trust you, God. Maybe it's increasing the amount you give away, whether inside or outside, wherever it is for us to become more and more generous. Or maybe it's something specific. I have stories of people that, have, that dropped off envelopes at our house or friend's house because there were needs that we had. And what if for us, what if there was a whole bunch of people this week that dropped off envelopes of cash to people that needed it and didn't even write their name on it and just went, here, I don't need any of the credit for it. I just want to know I'm providing for someone that needs it. Maybe it's gift cards, whatever it is. And here's the thing. It's not one size fits all. And more than honestly, you even looking at us going, which of that list do I want to do? You know what I want you to do? I want to ask God, God, what do you want me to do? Here's the beautiful thing. 
God wants to speak and guide. He's the one that actually, he sees your heart and guides you way, way more deeply and meaningful than anyone in the room ever can. And so he's trying to get your attention. And so what would it look like this week to ask courageously, God, what would it look like? What do you need me to do? What do you want me to do? What are you inviting me to do to live more courageously in generosity? And then take the biggest, boldest step and do it. Because there's this part for us as Christians where we equate knowing with doing. They're not the same. We can know and never do anything with it. What does it look like for us to know and then do what he's asking us to do? I'm going to pray specifically for that, for each of us, me included. But before I do, I want to read this C.S. Lewis quote. Because I thought that there were some things in here that were really significant. And if you're not familiar with C.S. Lewis, he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, but he also wrote a, a, a ton of really beautiful theological books that are brilliant. And so he said this, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. Why don't I pray for us? God, I pray that you would lead us, that you would create in us a generous heart God, that if there's things that we need to specifically do this week, would you say that to us? Would you make that clear? Even if there's things that I've said that, that we each know, I need to do that. I need to give sacrificially to this person, or I need to increase what I'm giving. I, I, need, to, I need it to be a sacrifice again because I've gotten too comfortable with my percentage or where I'm at. God, whatever it is, I pray that you would be the one that speaks. I pray that you would lead us. God, help us as a church to be more and more generous. God, help Lee and I as leaders to be more and more generous. God, help us to be trustworthy with what you've given us, faithful with what we have, so that you can entrust us with more, whatever that looks like. God, and we thank you for every single bit of courageous generosity that is represented in this room. Pour gasoline on it. Lead us, guide us. We love you. In Jesus' name. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you Sunday.